Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are in a series called Anchored. This is week four, and Anchored is about how do you, how do you thrive no matter what they throw at you. Today, uh, we're looking at how do you, how, what do you do when you're tasked with the impossible thing? Uh, uh, you know, your husband or wife comes in, a boss walks in, a friend walks in and says, hey, I need you to do this, and the job is just so much bigger than you. It's, it's impossible. You don't have the resources, you don't have the time, you don't have the money, you don't have any of the things that you need, and you think to yourself, there's no way. There's no way I can do this. Many times in life, you will be faced with what looks like an impossible situation. How am I going to overcome this? How am I going to do this? Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 if you have your Bible and want to turn there. Daniel chapter 2, verse 10, the advisors of this king of Babylon, this king Nebuchadnezzar, they say to him, nobody can do what you ask. What you're asking is impossible. What do you do when you are asked to do the impossible? We've been saying in this series that God always tests you before he blesses you. And before God trusts you with success, he will test you with stress. The life of Daniel, the, the whole story is really about, uh, about nine major tests in his life, and he's already gone through three of these. He's passed the test each time, and we've seen him get promoted. He starts out as a 15-year prisoner of war. He will end up at age 85 as second in command to the largest empire of his day. He has enormous power, enormous influence, enormous reach, and today is the test of what do you do when you are tasked with the impossible. I'm going to start by reading about 12 verses. It's, it's, it's kind of long, but it's necessary so that we can kind of get a grip of, on the story. Again, this is Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now this was not an uncommon thing. We talked about this last week that Babylonian culture was really more about superstition and the occult than it was about religion. And the wise men and the leaders uh, among the Babylonians were the magicians and the fortune tellers and the, 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 the seers and the psychics and the astrologers. And he brings these people in and he basically says, I'm having really bad dreams and I need you to tell me what the dreams are and tell me what they mean. Verse 3, I had a dream that I can't get out of my mind. I can't sleep until I know what it means. The fortune teller, speaking in the Aramaic language, said, Long live the king, tell us the dream, and we'll interpret it, which seems reasonable. The king answered the fortune tellers, This is my decree. If you can't tell me both the dream itself and its interpretation, I'll have you ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and your homes torn down. Clearly, Nebuchadnezzar had not had a good morning, okay? Somebody burned the bacon on Nebuchadnezzar. He is not happy. Verse 6, but if you tell me both the dream and its interpretation, I'll lavish you with gifts and honors. So go to it. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered, if it please your majesty, tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. <laughs> but the king said, I know what you're up to. You're just playing for time. You know you're cornered. You know that if you can't tell me my dream, you're out and out doomed. I see right through you. You're going to slap together some fancy stories and confuse the issue until I change my mind. No way. First tell me the dream, then I'll know that you're on the up and up and with the interpretation and not just blowing smoke in my eyes. And they've dressed this up for, for the scriptures clearly because that's not how I heard this expression, right? 
Verse 10, the fortune teller said, nobody anywhere can do what you ask, and no king great or small has ever demanded anything like this from any magician, enchanter, or fortune teller. What you're asking is impossible unless some god or goddess should reveal it. And I love this line. And they don't hang around with people like us. That set the king off. He lost his temper. He ordered the whole company of Babylonian wise men killed. When the death warrant was issued, Daniel and his companions were included. They were also marked for execution. This is what you call a crisis. What's going on here? Why is the king so upset? One of the traits of human behavior is we all want to know the future. You do, I do, we, we want to know the future. We would all love to know what's going to happen next week. We would all love to know what's going to be going on in a year. The reason we want to know, the reason we want to know the future is because we think that if we know the future, we can have some impact on the outcome. We think we can control things better if we know what's coming. But here's the thing. God does not want you to know the future. God wants you to trust him. Okay? Let that settle on you. Wrap your head around that. God does not want you to know the future. God wants you operating your life in faith, trusting him. Uh, we, we think knowing the future is going to give us more control. The more insecure in your life that you are, the more you are going to want to control things. You show me somebody who is constantly trying to control situations and trying to control other people and control their family, control their wife, I will show you somebody who is insecure. A high control person is a high insecurity person. There is a fear of something. There's a fear of scarcity. There's a fear of, of pain. There's a fear of embarrassment or, or failure in some way. The more insecure you are, the more you try to control everybody else and everything around you. Secure people don't try to control other people. Exhibit A is Jesus. Jesus didn't try to control anybody. Jesus had conversations with all kinds of people. Some of them were interested. Some of them weren't interested. Some of them walked away. You don't ever see Jesus chase after somebody. You'll never see Jesus try to control somebody. I, I, one of the things that I say is, is hopefully when you listen to me preach, I don't sound like a man who's trying to control you. I'm really not trying to control you. I'm trying to help you make better decisions. I'm trying to show you from Scripture how you can make better decisions, how we can all make better decisions, and thus improve our life. I'm not trying to control you. But one of the reasons that your friends don't want to come to church, especially men, especially men, is men think that when they walk in the door, I'm going to try to control them and tell them what to do. I'm not interested in telling you what to do. We think that, that Jesus was a non-controlling person, and Cross Lane tries to be that uh, same thing. Now, people have been trying to figure out the future for, for 2,600 years. This wasn't something that was new to Babylon. People are still trying to figure out the future, and it's, it's usually because they're desperate. It's usually because they, 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 they desperately want to control the situation. They're desperate for hope. And some people will go to all kinds of nonsense and all kinds of kooks and all kinds of uh, quacks and card readers and seance things and, and, and you know, horoscopes. And um, how many of you had a Ouija board when you were little? A lot of us weren't allowed to have. My mama was a woman of God, and there were no Ouija boards in our house. I mean, that was like anathema. If I'd gotten caught with a Ouija, I think I'd been better off getting caught with pot in my room than a Ouija board. <laughs> I, she was not having any of that nonsense, right? Like, no, no. 
you, you stay away from that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we, we do all kinds of things trying to, trying to figure out the future. Now, before we get into Daniel's story this morning, I want to give us three things that God says about wanting to know the future that I think would be helpful for you. Three things that God says about predicting the future. Number one, no one knows the future except God. No one knows the future except God. No psychic, no, no card reader, no medium, no fortune teller. Nobody knows the future except God. Anyone that tells you they know the future is lying to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, no one can tell the future. Later on in Ecclesiastes, fools never tire of talking, but none of us really know what the future will bring. God will reveal to you what you need to know when you need to know it, and what he wants from you is trust in that fact. One of the things that God wants most from you, he wants you to trust him. The same way as a parent, you want your kids to trust you, that's exactly what God wants from us. He wants us to trust him. Doesn't it feel good when you look at your kids and say, just trust me, you don't want to do that. And they go, okay, I'll, I'll listen to you. And you're like, there is hope, right? Like there is hope. Um, they're, not, they're, they're not completely turned off. That's how God is with us. He wants us to trust him. Here's the second thing God says about the future. All psychics and mediums are frauds and fakes. Psychics, mediums, fortune tellers, card readers, astrologers, God says this in Isaiah, I expose the false prophets as liars and make fools of fortune tellers. I cause the wise to give bad advice, thus proving them to be fools. Leviticus, do not defile yourselves by turning to mediums or to those who consult the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord, your God. I'm your God. You want to know the future? You come to me. I'll tell you what you need to know. God is not playing around when it comes to this subject. This is serious. Look at the next verse out of Leviticus. I will be against anyone. Okay, now, let me just stop you. Here's a pro tip for reading your Bible. When you're reading the Bible and you come across a verse and it's God talking and it starts off the very first sentence, I will be against anyone you should stop and you should take note. I don't want to do anything that's going to pit God against me. So when I read that, I will be against anyone. I am very keen on what comes next. He says, I will be against anyone who goes to mediums and fortune tellers for advice. Because that person, listen to this, he considers that being unfaithful to him. You're being unfaithful to me. People say, I'm just playing around. Brett, I'm just... I'm just messing around with it. I'm, I'm not really taking it all that seriously. Here's what I would tell you. Run from it. Run from it. Get away from it. God is not amused. God does not want you dabbling in such things. Um, you're wasting your time. You're, you're wasting your money. This was so serious to God that in Deuteronomy, God says this about false prophets. He says, I'm going I'm, to put them to death. We put false prophets to death. That is not a joke to God. Third thing that you need to know about the future, the test of a true prophet is 100% accuracy. If someone is speaking on God's behalf and they're speaking about the future, what they're saying is going to be 100% accurate and years later, you know, when it comes to fruition, you can look back and say that was a prophet of God because what they said was completely accurate. In the scriptures, God gives us basically two checks to check anybody out about whether or not they're from God. One of them is they're going to be 100% accurate, not 80% accurate, not 90% accurate, 100% accurate. The other thing is God says it will match my word. What they say is going to match my word, Deuteronomy 18. You might be thinking, how can we know if a message is not from the Lord? 
If what a prophet says in the name of the Lord does not happen, it is not the Lord's message. That prophet was speaking in his own ideas. Do not be afraid of him. God says there's two tests. There's an accuracy test. There's a biblical test. Isaiah chapter 8. Look to God's instruction and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. When you see a psychic on TV, you know, once in a while they'll have a special program or they used to have like a whole series of programs where these psychics come on and they talk to these people and, you know, they, they start talking about Aunt Mabel and how Aunt Mabel had a poodle and, and you know, and people start crying and it's a whole thing. And, and, and we get sucked in by that stuff and we think, oh, man, that, that psychic, he really... But what you're not shown many times, first of all, um, some people have a gift for being able to fish information out of somebody. They have a gift for, for knowing how to connect and, and, and you know, they, they just know how to get in. But we, Dee Dee and I were watching a program not long ago and it, it showed how they do some of these shows. And they, they showed how the psychic, they have these like meet and greets before the actual show and the psychic, whoever it is, gets to go in and meet these people. And, and what the guy said was, this is where a lot of that information is culled. They, you know, they're listening to conversations. They're listening for anything they can use to make you think that they know things <clears throat> that nobody else knows, that they know things about you that only they know and nobody, only you and them know. And it makes them look really cool and, and like they know what's going on, but it's a show. It's a, if, we, if, we, if God is to be believed, and I believe he is, that's not true, that they're fakes and they're liars. They're they, you know, they're not 100% accurate, and their message isn't necessarily from God. It's kind of like watching an illusionist. If you've ever watched a magician, it's, it's amazing to watch some of the really, really good ones. Uh, and they spend, you know, they've spent years honing their craft, getting good at what they do. And, and, you know, they'll, and a lot of those guys are very quick to tell you, I'm an illusionist, I'm not a magician. And, and they're, quick to, they're quick to point that out. The difference is, I'm tricking your eyes. I'm, make, I'm, I'm making you think that you just saw something that you really didn't see. In, in its purest form, that's all magic tricks and all that are. Magicians love to get together and talk to each other and try and figure out how, they do, how to do each other's tricks because what they know is there's a trick to it. You know, that, that guy didn't just really make that car disappear. He just made you think he made that car disappear. And that's, that's what happens a lot of the time, and we get tricked. If it's from God, there will be 100% accuracy. In our story, these psychics say, tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it means. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, no, no, no. You're going to tell me my dream, and you're going to tell me what it means. You're the ones that should know. You're the psychics. You're the fortune tellers. You should be able to tell me. Now, in this dream, King Nebuchadnezzar keeps having this disturbing nightmare and he has it over and over again. He calls in these occultic people, tell me what my dream means and tell me, tell me what the dream is. And, and they say, look, we can't do that. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, look, if you can't tell me, I'm going to have you killed. And then from about verses 14 to 30, Daniel shows up and he says, let me take a shot at this. And he goes and he prays and God reveals to him the king's dream. Not only does God give Daniel the dream, but he also gives Daniel the meaning. We'll get to that at the end. He tells it to the king. The king honors Daniel and Daniel's friends, and Daniel gets promoted, and that's pretty much the story. Uh, today, we're going to look at, at, at um, you know, basically eight things, and you hear that like, dear Lord, eight things. I promise it goes fast, okay? It goes fast. 
But we're going to look at eight things that, that Daniel did when it faced with an, uh, an impossible situation. And I just think these are going to be really helpful for some people in the room this morning. Number one, don't, be, don't, be, don't panic or be afraid. Don't panic or be afraid. In Daniel's case, he had every reason to panic. The government wants to kill him. Okay, they're sending a hitman. That is a reason to panic, but Daniel does not panic. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Once again, Daniel's going to be tested, and he's going to pass with flying colors. Daniel is an amazing kid. And one of the most powerful men on the planet has put a hit out on him, and when the guy shows up to kill him, Daniel handles this with with wisdom and with discretion he, he he handles this with a word that i really want to be associated with my life but i don't know how much this word is really associated with my life and that word is poise i, I want to be poised i don't i often don't feel as poised as i wish i could be that's something that i strive for that's something that i'm constantly trying to build into my life it's something i've tried to pass on to my kids I think it's a great trait when kids, you know, when you see them poised, poised under pressure, poised in tough situations, poised when they're in front of a group of people in a social setting. I want to have poise when I'm up in front of you, and I've often said, if you knew what I was leaving out, you'd be proud, right? There's two conversations going on. There's the one you hear, and there's the one that I'm thinking, and the goal is for those two things to never cross, because I wouldn't want you to hear some of that other stuff. Like, I'll be preaching, I'll see somebody, and I'll think, ooh, they're not happy today. They don't look happy. Um, I don't want you to hear those conversations. But I want to be poised. That's what Daniel was. He was poised. What, what is it that when you woke up this morning, it was the impossible thing for you? It's the thing that is going to challenge the poise in your life. It's going to cause you to panic. It's the thing that has you worked up. It's got you... Uh, upset. Maybe it's something at work that hangs over you. Maybe it's your marriage. It might be a health issue. Could be a debt thing or a money thing. It could be your parents. Could be school. It, it could be anything. Don't panic. Number two, ask why. Ask why. Learn all the facts. Learn the motivation behind the request. When someone is asking you to do the impossible, get the facts and get the motivation. And if there's emotion, as is the case with King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar is, is, he's furious. Ask some questions and get the why behind the fury. Find out why he's furious. In this case, the king is afraid. He's having this recurring nightmare. He's scared to death and he's taking it out on others. When people are panicked and in crisis, they often get emotional. And when they get emotional, they attack. Often they attack. You're at work, your boss comes in, he's upset, he yells at you, um, he comes down on you for something, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, man, what got into him? Well, probably what got into him is somebody above him just did that to him. And he's feeling all kinds of heat, he's feeling all kinds of pressure, we're going to talk about that next week. And, and now that trickles down, and he starts to put that pressure on the people that are below him. In all likelihood, that's where the fury and the pressure and the, the heat comes from. You need to know why. Verse 15, Daniel asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a decree, such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. You got to get the facts. Proverbs 23, get the facts at any price. Don't make a major decision just on emotion. Get the facts. 
Ask yourself the question, what do I need to know and how do I make this decision with as much information as I can do it? Number three, ask for time to create a solution. Boss comes in, I need this done immediately. You look back and you say, that's impossible. Ask for time to create a solution. In a crisis, the greatest temptation you have <clears throat> is to be impulsive. That's the greatest temptation you're gonna have. Um, it's more important to make a right decision than it is to make a quick decision. Um, take a little time, step back, take a deep breath, calm down, talk to God, and ask for time to create a solution. Verse 16, at this Daniel went to the king and asked for more time. Uh, one of the leadership people that has informed my life a lot is a guy named John Maxwell, and I heard John Maxwell say many years ago that he never makes a decision until he has to. If he has time to make the decision, he waits as long as he can to make the decision so that he has as much information as he can, and I've tried to do that in my life. I try not to make my decisions early. I try to, if I've got time to make the decision, I'll take as much time as they give me so that I can try to make a better decision. Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. He's going to give it a shot. He's going to say, listen, that's impossible. You know, it seems impossible, but I'm going to take a shot. Let's see if God will reveal to me what's been going on with you. I'm going to try. Look at the verse again. Daniel went at once. While you're going to want to take time for the solution, you want to make contact with the right person. You need to get to the person, the source. Daniel went at once to see the king. It's pretty gutsy. King wants to kill him. What does he do? He immediately goes to the king to confront him. He goes immediately to the source of his pain. No procrastination, no delay. Question, what are you procrastinating this morning? What are you, what did you walk in here and you're putting it off? You, you need to do it. You know you need to do it. It's, it's, it's driving you nuts. It's a fear of yours. It's causing problems. And you're procrastinating and you just keep putting it off. You, you know you need to do it. You've needed to do it for a long time. You've talked to certain people about it, but you still haven't done it. Procrastination only makes the problem worse. It doesn't solve anything. So don't panic. Ask why. Immediately ask for time to create a solution. Move against the fear. The only way to get rid of fear is to move against it. You can't talk your way out of it. You can't argue it away. You move against it. Number four, enlist prayer support from your friends. Enlist prayer support from your friends. Daniel knows this is big. The king is a little bit off his rocker. He wants to kill everybody, including us. So he says, look, I got to get my prayer team going. <laughs> These guys need to start praying. Verse 17, then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hannah, Mishael, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that he would not be executed along with the, so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Let me ask you this. Do you have prayer partners? Do you have some people that you can get to in your life and you can sit them down and say, listen, I need you to pray for me. This is going on. I, I need you to pray for me. Build a prayer team before the inevitable crisis comes along into your life. You're going to have problems. There are going to be impossible situations. You will have dark days. You need to know who you can call, who you can trust, who you can count on to lift you up in prayer when those days hit. Daniel knew immediately. He gets to his buddies. He said, listen, you guys need to start praying. Who can you call for prayer? That's why at Cross Lane we have life groups. I've watched my life group do that many times in this season. 
pray for one another and lift each other up and solve each other's problems and help. That's why you need to be in a life group, because you need some people that can pray for you. I want you to see something in this verse that's kind of interesting. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Daniel is not just trying to save his own skin. He's trying to save the skin of all these other co-workers. And by the way, these other co-workers are not necessarily his friends. In fact, some of them probably have not been real good to Daniel. These are not people that Daniel has a lot in common with. They don't speak the same language. They don't pray to the same God. They don't have the same philosophies. A lot of them are sorcerers and psychics and mediums. But Daniel says, I may not agree with them, but I don't want to see them die. I don't want to see harm come to these people. And so he, he's trying to look out for them as well. Here's a question for you. Are you praying for people in your life that you don't necessarily like or agree with? Are you praying for those people? Or do you just chalk it up and say, I don't like them, I'm not praying for them. They don't, they're not worthy of my prayers. That's not Daniel's attitude. I'm just telling you, you want to be blessed by God, one of the things you will do is you will start praying for your enemies. You will start praying for the people that you don't necessarily like or who don't necessarily like you. And as God sees you develop a heart for people, even that you don't like or that you have a hard time liking, as he sees you trying to develop a love for those people, and you're like, Brett, don't talk to me about love about that person. I can't do it. Just telling you, that's what God calls you to. This week in staff meeting, Tracy had the, the nugget. We always have a leadership nugget. And Tracy had it this week. And, and it was a, he showed us a video of this guy talking. He was talking about how selfish the society is becoming. And, you know, the attitude anymore seems to be, I don't care if, if you lose your job as long as I don't lose my job. I don't care if you get sick as long as I don't get sick. Right? There are certain people that are, that are that way. If you're wondering why our society devolves as it does into the chaos and the, and the, 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 the violence and you know, just some of the mayhem that you see, it's because what's happening more and more is we're getting more and more selfish. And we, we, think, we think that we, we're slowly coming to think that we are the most important person in the world. I was with my son Tanner this week and checking with him. We were having lunch. I try to do that every couple of weeks. And I, you know, was thinking about Tracy's video that he'd showed, and I just wanted to do a quick test with Tanner. I said, Tanner, if the government decided to do this, and it was something that didn't benefit Tanner at all, but it was good for the country. I said, if the government decided to do this, would you be okay with it? He said, sure. I said, but it doesn't benefit you at all. He said, well, that's not, he said, there's things that need to happen that don't benefit me. And I was like, whew, you know, like as a dad, I was like, yeah, you know, it's, all hope is not lost. So, um, you know, Daniel wasn't just concerned for himself. Daniel, Daniel was concerned for, other pe concerned for other people as well. Number five, pray and expect God to give supernatural help. Pray and expect God to give supernatural help. Now, when I say supernatural, I'm talking about things that you cannot do. I'm talking about not in your logic, not in your talent, not in your wisdom, not in your wheelhouse. You just say, God, this is not going to happen if you don't show up. If you don't show up, I'm done. When you don't have the money or the connections or the resources or the education or the answers or the expertise or the ideas, you need supernatural help. You need God's help. You pray to him and you expect him to help you. Listen, God wants you, God wants you to ask for his help. He wants you to ask for his help. We're told over and over again in Scripture, 
This isn't something that just was true 2,600 years ago. It's true today. There, there's, there's this guy that's, 2,600 years ago, there's a guy that's still back in Israel. Remember I told you only 25% got taken to Babylon. There's a guy in Israel named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. Jeremiah was a prophet, okay? So <laughs> he's, he's still back in Israel, and he knows what's going on in Babylon with guys like Daniel and, and his buddies. And in Jeremiah 33, we read this, Call to me, and I will answer you. I'll tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. That is exactly, exactly what Daniel needs. He needs God to show him what he could never figure out on his own. Daniel could have never guessed on his own what this dream was that this king had. Here's a question this morning. What are you trying to figure out all on your own? What have you been banging your head against the wall to try to figure out, and you've not stopped and said, God, would you please help me figure this out? I need you. I can't do this by myself. I need you to show up, and I need you to do this for me. Imagine getting to heaven one day. And in heaven, let's say that they have these like big box stores, like a Sam's Club or a Costco, you know, where you go and the shelves are huge and these big warehouses. And, and you go into these warehouses in heaven, and there's all these gifts. You know, there's all these things, appliances and furniture and cars and houses and riding track. I mean, just anything you can imagine that you might have wanted. And they're all on the shelf, and they all have a price tag. And there's also, like, other things that are, like, non-tangible things, like relationships and marriages and, and healings and health and, and, you know, money and things like that, box of money there. And, and they all have a price tag hanging from them, and you start checking the price tag and you turn it over and that one says something you come over here and you look at that price tag and it says something and they say the same thing and the more you're looking at all these things in these warehouses the the price tags all say the same thing three little words never asked for never asked for you mean i could have had that and i didn't ask for it why didn't i ask for it god doesn't shut his storehouse until we shut our mouth. God says, call to me. God says, well, you have not because you ask not. Imagine what we could achieve if we just asked God to come behind us and to help us. You have not because you ask not. You see it all through scripture. There are lots of things that you might have had given to you if you had only asked. Over 20 times in the Christian Bible, we are told to ask God. God said, ask anything in my name. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will, not, you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. God says, I want you to ask. You have not because you ask not. How many things have you missed out on in your life simply because you didn't ask God for it? God, I'm not good enough to do this on my own. you got to help me. God, if you don't help me, I'm sunk. I need you. I've told you this, but... One of the prayers that I pray is the prayer of David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a, in the late 1700s, was a missionary to the Native American Indians up in the northeast part of our country. And David Brainerd had a prayer, and his prayer was basically, Lord, help me to make a difference today that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. And when I heard that prayer about 20 years ago, I adopted that, and that is a prayer that I've prayed my entire life. For 20 years, I've been praying that prayer through all the things we've gone through as a church, through all the buildings and all the staff additions and all the challenges and money stuff. And I've just, you know, listen, 
I am a man of limited resource, okay? I don't consider myself super talented, super gifted. Just about anybody is better than me at anything that I'm trying to do. But my prayer has been for the whole thing, God, help me to make a difference today that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. God, if you don't come behind me, if you don't help me, this is not going to get done. Cross Lane has been built on those kinds of prayers. Daniel prays and he says, listen, I can't figure this out on my own. Now there's a condition on this, and it's not just pray, it's pray and expect God to give you supernatural help. A lot of times we pray, but we really aren't expecting God to come through. You know, it's, it's kind of like, well, Lord, um, if you're there, which is, that's got to be really encouraging to God, right? When we start off our prayers, God, if you're there, well, that, there's not a whole lot of faith going on in that. God, if you're there, you know, Brett told me I should pray, so I'm not even really doing this because I want to, but Brett told me, so I'm going to do it. And he said I should pray and ask you for stuff. So, Lord, I'm, ex- I'm going to ask you for this, but I'm really not expecting it. I mean, what kind of prayer is that? Why would that motivate God at all? Right? But when God sees you sit down and get serious about it, and it's like, okay, God, I'm going to lay this out for you. I need this to happen. And not only do I need it to happen, I'm expecting you. I'm expecting you to come through on this because I'm asking in faith because I believe that you want what is best for me and and I kind of believe this is what's best for me. Now, we always ask with with God's will in mind. We always do that. But you've got to ask in faith. You've got to be expecting. God does not respond to our whining, to our complaining and our tantrums. But God is moved instantly when we pray in faith. Why? Because it honors him. It honors him. The more you honor God, the more you're going to see God move in your life. I mean, that is just a principle of life. As a father, (laughs) I didn't get real excited when I knew that my kids were going to be giving me presents for Christmas. I don't know about any other fathers in here, but that never really excited me. I mean, you know, (laughs) bless their hearts. I mean, I, I liked it that my kids were thoughtful and wanted to give something to dad for Christmas and, you know, they they had that in them, like not totally selfish, I'm going to give. But honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of use for the dog that, they, that my, you know, one of my kids made in their third grade art class that, that really looked more like what came out of a dog than actually a dog, right? And, you know, and you open it and you're like, oh, honey, that's just what I needed. And you're, you're fishing for hints as to what it is, you know, like I don't even know what this is. I didn't get excited when they gave me gifts, but I can tell you this. When they got ready to open my gifts, I got excited. I wanted to see my kids open the things that I had worked hard to buy for them. I couldn't wait because I knew that they were things, I'd been listening to them. I knew they were things that they wanted. I knew they were things that they'd been longing for. I knew that it was, they were going to delight them. And so when they got ready to open those packages, man, I was all in. I was watching. I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. God solved your biggest problem by sending Jesus Christ to come and die for you and give you forgiveness. Anything else for God is small potatoes. If he can take care of your salvation, he can take care of anything else that is bothering you. James chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
When you thank God in advance for what he is going to do for you, we call that faith. When you thank God for what he has done for you, we call that gratitude. Both are really important. Thanking him in advance for what he's going to do, trusting that he's going to do it, thanking him. God, I know you're going to do this, and I just want to thank you in advance. That's faith. After he's done it, you come back, God, I'm so grateful. That's gratitude. Number six, worship God. People think that they have to go to church to worship God. People think that, they have, that, that worshiping God is always about music. That's not true. Uh, there are thousands of ways that someone can worship. The, the, the idea of worship is nothing more than putting all your attention on God. That's what worship is. It's putting all my attention on God. It, it's about, that's why when I'm with you in the hospitals, whenever they let me come back into the hospitals, when I'm with sick people, I pray, I say, let's worship God. I'm trying to get their attention off themselves, and I'm trying to get the attention on God. When you worry what you're doing, we said this last week, when you worry, you're meditating on the same thing over and over. And the more you meditate on it, the bigger and bigger and bigger it gets. And when you worship what you're doing is you're heaping all that energy and all that attention on God. You're focused completely on him, not on your problem, not on what the problem is. And the more you focus on God, the bigger and bigger and bigger he gets and the smaller your problem gets. You don't have to be in church to worship. You can worship anywhere. Worship in your car. Worship at school. You can worship while you're hunting. Okay? Now, I got to say this because this is just a, like a pet thing for me and I got to fix this for some people. It's, it's okay for a hunter to say, I experience God when I'm in the field hunting. I get that. When I'm in nature, I experience God. Yes, you can experience God when you're hunting. Here's what you can't do when you're hunting. You're, you can't, you're not in church. I've, had, I've heard hunters say, nature is my church. No. No, because in order for it to be the church, we'd all have to be there with you because the church is God's people, and you're not shooting many deer when you've got a crowd this big around, right? Like, so I get it. You encounter God when you're in nature. I understand that. But do not come to think that when you're in nature, you're in church. You are not. Those are two completely different things. And you cannot substitute hunting for church. Do not do that. You need to have God's people around you in person to fellowship with, to lift you up, to pray for you, to encourage you. So don't just, you know, if you're a hunter, don't say nature is my church. That's not, not good. Okay, I'm going to move on. That's a little soapbox. Okay, thank you, God, for my car. Thank you, God, for my wife, for vacation, for friends. Thank you, God, for Krispy Kreme donuts. Thank you, God, for taste buds. Just imagine for a minute. I mean, think about it. God did not have to give you taste buds. He could have made everything taste like oatmeal. Right? But he didn't. He made a taste called Krispy Kreme. God is awesome. God is just so awesome. Thank you, God. What a God. Uh, worship. I get my eyes off of my problem, and I get them on God, and as I do that, the solution comes. The problem gets smaller. I stop looking at the impossible problem, and I focus my attention on an immutable God. Daniel is going to pray all night. Let me just ask you a question. What, when have you ever stayed up all night praying about something? What was so important to you that you stayed up all night and you showed God, God, this is so important to me that I'm going to stay up all night talking to you about this one thing. This is how much it means to me. I'm just telling you, I think that if you ever did that, 
you would show God something that he's never seen out of you before? What is it that is so important to you that matters so much? God, I really need this job. I really need this job. I really need this job. But I'm not staying up all night. I think it's possible God says, you know what? Maybe, maybe, you, don't, maybe you don't really want that job. Maybe you don't believe in me enough to talk to me, really talk to me about that job. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Circle the word praised. This passage knows us, shows us how to pray in a crisis. You need to know that. You need to know how to pray in a crisis. When you're faced with impossible situations, you need to pray the same three things that Daniel prayed. So we're going to take a quick side step here, look at three things real quick, and then we're coming right back to the eight, okay? Number one, when faced with an impossible situation, three things you pray. Praise God for who he is. Praise God for who he is. Second part of verse 19. Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. God, you're forgiving and you're just and you're, you're gracious and you're powerful and you're everywhere. Secondly, honor God for what he does. You praise God for who he is. You honor God for what he does. This is the difference between God's character and his actions. Verse 21, you control human events. You give rulers their power and take it away, and you are the source of wisdom and knowledge. You explain deep mysteries because even the dark is light to you. You are the God who is worshipped by my ancestors. Now I thank you and praise you for making me wise and telling me the king's dream together with its meaning. He's thanking God for who he is, and he's honoring him for what he's done. The third part of that is thank God for helping me. Thank God for helping me. Verse 23, I thank you and praise you for making me wise and telling me the king's dream together with its meaning. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful to you. Seventh thing Daniel does as he prays this prayer, now he's going back and he's going to get the solution. Verse uh, number seven, use what God shows me to save others. Use what God shows me to save others. God not only wants to save you, he wants to save other people too. He wants to save your family wants to save your friends, people you work with. God wants to save your enemies. Here's a revolutionary thought, maybe something you never thought about before. God has never met a person he doesn't love. I have. You have. We've met people we're not crazy about. We've met people we don't love. We've met people that we would say, you know what, I don't like them very much. <laughs> I got to see my mom and dad this weekend, and my brother came in Wednesday night when I first got there, and we were sitting on a couch together, and Scott and I were talking about something, and somebody came up that from back in the day, and my brother said, I hate him. And my mother, mother, you know, woman of God that she is, we ain't having any of that, right? And I just, the minute he said it, I'm like, oh, here it comes. And she said, now, Scott, we don't hate anybody. And Scott's like, I do. I hate that guy. No, no, we don't. No, we don't. We don't hate him. We don't hate him. <laughs> I'm not going to give away my mom's age, but she's up there, and she's still tough enough to kick both our tails, right? Like she, she jerks a knot in our tail. God's never met somebody he doesn't love. Think about that. God so loved the world, not just a few. Daniel, I'm going to save you, but I don't want to just save you. I want to save everybody. Verse 24, then Daniel went to Arioch. That is a good detail. I want you to see that. Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. So think about this as a movie. This is the climax of the movie. 
All these dudes are getting ready to get killed. And Daniel comes running into the room. And he says, stop, stop, don't kill anybody. Don't, do not execute them. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. If this were a movie, this would be a fantastic... Why don't they make movies about Daniel? They should. God wants everybody saved. He wants everybody to know their purpose in life. That's why Crosslane continues to reach out. We, we reach out to our community to help and to share and to feed and to teach and to love. Daniel runs into this place, and here's how the story continues. Verse 25, remember I said Daniel went to Arioch. Now look how this changes. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, check this out. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah. He did not. Daniel went to him. He didn't find anybody. And here's Arioch. He's going to take credit for Daniel, right? Daniel doesn't say a word. He just lets it go. I found a man from, from the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king looks at Daniel and says, is it true? Verse 26, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel's reply to the king's question gives us the eighth step. When you get the answer, you point people to God. When you get the solution, when it turns out right, when you solve the problem, you point people to God. Don't take credit. God gave the solution. Give God the credit. This is exactly what Daniel does. Look at what he says to the most powerful man on the planet. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. And then I love verse 28. But there is a God in heaven. It's a great line. There is a God in heaven. Your life may be falling apart, but there is a God in heaven. You may be up to your eyeballs in debt, but there is a God in heaven. You may be going through grief unexplainable, but there is a God in heaven. And you may have a problem that you do not know. You may be in such deep guacamole, you don't know how you're getting out. But there is a God in heaven. That is what, what gives the world hope. Because God can do what none of us could do. King, he says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And now he's going to tell the king what's going on. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me... This mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. And Daniel points people to God, and as he does that, God increases his platform. The more you point people to God, he's going to increase your platform. That is a simple principle of life. The more you point people to God, he's going to give you more influence, more power, more reach. He's going to increase your platform. Now, that's basically the message. But I would be doing you a huge disservice if I did not talk to you briefly about this dream. So for the next three minutes, I'm a, we're going to talk about the dream, and we're done. Okay? Here's the dream. There's a great statue of a man. He's a great statue of a man. The head is made of gold. The shoulders, upper body is made of silver. The, the torso is made of bronze. The legs are made of iron, and the feet are made of iron mixed with clay. And in this dream, this giant rock breaks away from this mountain. It gets hurled into this statue. It knocks the statue over. The statue crumbles into a, thousands of pieces. 
and a wind comes and scatters those pieces all over the place. And so after that happens, the rock becomes a mountain, and the mountain basically covers the whole earth. That's the dream. And Daniel comes to the king, and he says, here's what's going on in your dream. That's a, that's a vision of what's going to happen in the world. That's a future of the world. The empires to come after you are represented in the different metals. Yours is the head. Yours is the gold kingdom. That's the kingdom of Babylon. The one that comes after you is going to be not quite as great. That's silver. That's going to be the Medo-Persian Empire. And that was the shoulders. And then you come into the bronze, uh, the midsection, the torso, and that was Alexander the Great. And then you get into the iron, the legs. That was the Roman Empire. That was the strongest of all of them. But the problem with the Roman Empire is it was weak from within. And so that's where the the clay comes in mixed with iron, the feet. They, they were, it wasn't on a solid base. And, and so when, when the, the rock gets hurled into all of those empires, they all go away, and Daniel says what happens is that rock eventually covers the whole earth. That is the kingdom of God. He is going to be the ultimate ruler. He's the one that should be worshipped, not you, not anybody else, King Nebuchadnezzar. And then look at how does he respond when the king hears this. I got, th- I got about four verses for you, and we're done. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. God is now being honored. Nebuchadnezzar then gives Daniel all kinds of gifts. He promotes him again. And then verse 48, we read this. The king placed Daniel in high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon. He basically makes them governors, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Daniel is a young man, and he honors God, and look, what, what, what God did with Daniel. Now let me just ask you this question. What is the impossible thing that you walked in here this morning and you're trying to figure it out? Now maybe not all of you have that, but some of you do. Some of you walked in here, you're up against something that looks impossible. I've given you eight things that you can do to try to attack that. You need to, make, you need to put God at the very center of it. You need to be praying over it constantly. You need to trust God to give you the solution. You need to praise God when he comes through and he answers it for you, okay? When you get to the other side of that, don't forget that God led you to the other side of it, all right? Listen, I was just talking to some of you as you walked in this morning. I know some of you are in here this morning with heavy, heavy hearts, uh, more than a few. There's, there's a couple of you, several of you. I, I just want to pray over you before the band comes out. Um, I love you, and, and, and just uh, I just want to pray for you. Father, We've come today to worship you. Some of us, like I said, we've had great weeks. We've gotten great news. Everything's up and to the right. It's all good. But that doesn't describe everybody in this room. There are some heavy, heavy hearts in this room this morning. There are some people going through some stuff, stuff that is unimaginable, stuff that we would not ever choose to go through. And Father, for those people, I just want to lift them up to you and ask you to to bless them in a very special way this morning. Assure them that you are there. Assure them that you hear them and that you care and you're going to be with them and walk with them through this very dark time. Father, help all of us as we come up against the certain things that are going to be in the world to, to come against us. Help us to be poised 
Help us to seek you out. Help us to give you praise. Help us to worship you in the midst of it. Father, we are your people. You are our God, and we worship you in this place. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.